I'm sure that a number of you at some, some time in your journey have read the screw tape letters. Sound a little bit familiar? It's uh, by uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, once again, where he demonstrates the amazing gift of imagination that he had. But it's about a novice devil that's called Wormwood. And he's assigned by the senior devil, whose name is Screwtape, that is the devil himself. He's assigned to the task of keeping a certain man from becoming a Christian. Well, Wormwood fails. The man becomes a Christian. And so now he is given a different task, and that is to tempt him into serious sin that will ruin him. This uh, novice, Wormwood, thinks that he can ruin the young man by leading him in the path of pleasure. Now, doesn't that sound like a good plan? <laughs> ruin the young Christian by the temptation to pleasure. And then his boss, Screwtape, reprimands him and he says, Never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on enemy ground. We're on God's ground. Because pleasure is his invention, not ours. He made pleasure. Everything has to be twisted before it's of any use to us. Pleasure is good. It's got to be twisted if it's going to be of any use to the devil. It's Eugene Peterson in an excellent article related to Ecclesiastes that, makes, uh, that, that points this out and that makes this reference to screw tape. But he points out how that joy is very prevalent in the Bible. And uh, that in the whole story, from the very beginning of creation and to God's people at the end in the book of Revelation, joy is prevalent. And he says, and this is sort of a cute comment, he says he's always been amused by the comment of the novelist Ellen Glasgow on her grandfather who she describes as a dour Presbyterian elder who never once committed a joy. <laughs> Sound at all familiar? I hope not. But I think we can understand that. But, but this article, it's entitled The Pursuit of Happiness is a Dead-End Street. And uh, Peterson here shows from Ecclesiastes that when we pursue pleasure, it's a dead end. But that pleasure and happiness has to be something that God provides. It comes from him, and otherwise it's misused. Certainly joy is prevalent in the scriptures. A couple of cases in point, Psalm 16:11, you show me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy. 
in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I think it's significant there that somehow that psalm there connects the path of life. You show me, the, you show me how to live. And it's in that context that I have joy, fullness of joy. And then, of course, Jesus, John chapter 15, verse 11, probably a little more familiar. And he's in the upper room and he says to his disciple, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you. My joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Well, now we come to our passage in Philippians. And I'm sure that many of you are familiar with the book and you realize that it's a book in which the Apostle Paul simply exudes uh, confidence and hope and triumph. In fact, the word uh, joy or rejoice, same word in the Greek, occurs 14 times in these few pages. But that doesn't mean that it denies the reality of suffering and difficulties. Uh, in fact, Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison, and execution was a very real possibility, and yet it's got such a positive tone. I have in my study uh, an old commentary that I really appreciate on Philippians, and it's entitled The Adequate Man. The Adequate Man. Good title. Because we see that throughout the book that the Apostle Paul is adequate. That because of Christ, he will be able to handle whatever situation comes to him. He is adequate. And of course, his concern is that his first readers, the congregation at Philippi, likewise, will be adequate for whatever they are facing. And I'd say that's pretty relevant for us in our experience, surgeries, cancers, death of loved ones, scary symptoms, everyday course. And I was thinking about this theme and thinking that maybe, maybe this theme this morning will seem almost insensitive because of what's going on around us. You know how the news report in such detail shows the devastation in Texas. And of course it's because it's relatively close to home. There are even worse things happening in different parts of Asia than in Texas. But it's so close to home and is it almost insensitive to be talking about rejoicing as if everything's fine? And then I thought a little further about it and figured, no, well, actually, that's exactly what we need to hear in that kind of a context. And I'm confident that among the many people that are affected by this, there would be thousands of them who are believers and who are finding that they can rejoice in the Lord, even though everything is being destroyed around them. And so whatever our experience is relevant. And it's relevant when we're going through the best of times, even as we just sang in that song. You know, blessed be the Lord. When all is well, blessed be the Lord when everything is going south. Well, 
rejoice in the Lord. And we have just been singing about that. And as I, as I look at that this morning, I want to talk about it from three standpoints. First of all, the, the choice. There's a choice here about rejoicing in the Lord. Secondly, the circumstances. And then finally, the reason. But, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm only speaking on verse, verse 4 this morning, and Lord willing, I want to talk about the other verses later, but verse 4, it's about rejoicing. Looking first of all at the, the choice, the choice factor. Paul is saying, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. I don't think of this as saying, obey me or you sinned. I don't think of it that much so much, but I, I encourage you, I challenge you, I dare you. Whatever your situation, rejoice in the Lord. It's a choice. You can do it. And even as we uh, sang that familiar song earlier, that this is the day that the Lord has made, and then we are stating our resolve. We will. (laughs) We are going to choose to rejoice. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, And you can't control your circumstances necessarily probably you know maybe most of our circumstances certainly many are way beyond our control and I suggest it's often that way with our emotions as well we laugh we cry we feel pain we feel stress we feel grief and this in ways that we can scarcely control and some of us have a little better control than others depending on our our temperament and yet here is the word that we can choose to rejoice in the world, uh, in, the, in the Lord. And I suggest that the focus here isn't, it's not really on feelings, but it's on focus. See, we can't necessarily choose our feelings, but we can choose our focus. We can choose whether to focus on the glass as half empty or half full. That's up to us. There was a school principal who was retiring after 40 years and he said he had become convinced that most people are about as happy as they set out to be. Choice. And this man was known to have the happiest faculty imaginable. Many places in God's word, God's people are called upon to choose the positive 1 Thessalonians 5:16 to 18 rejoice always and then pray continually give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus all of these choices those three choices really support each other but they're choices and they go together a few years ago and there was a plane crash at the Pearson International Airport and uh, one of the rescue operators uh, described the reaction of one of the passengers that had been on the plane. He grumbled that the air conditioning in the vehicle that brought him from the landing strip to the place where the passengers were being assembled was too cold. And instead of getting coffee, he was given just water. And yeah, there are other things on his uh, complaint list as well. This man had just escaped from death in a burning inferno and he's grumbling about the air conditioning and the absence of coffee but the rest of the story I'm so glad the CTV that reported this saved 
the best responds for the last. And there was footage of a lady who in a very pleasant way expressed thanks to God that everyone's life was spared. Well, what a contrast in those two choices. Choosing to rejoice or choosing to grumble. And the call here is do it. Rejoice. Make that your focus. And of course, it's a similar to giving thanks. And of course, it's not that difficult when things are going the way we want them to. But the call here transcends all our situation, and that brings me to the circumstance factor. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. <laughs> rejoice when you have your health. Or rejoice in, in the day of your youth. Yeah, we are to do that, and our inclination is, of course, to rejoice at those good times. Rejoice when the Eskimos win. What do you think about tomorrow? Wouldn't it be a nice surprise if they could beat Calgary on Calgary's turf? Well, I'm going to rejoice either way, okay? But I'll especially rejoice if they win. We rejoice when our children do well. And of course, you rejoice when you get the results of a biopsy and you hear those wonderful words, there is no evidence of cancer. And I was thinking how well chosen those words are. They can never say with absolute certainty that you don't have cancer someplace, but there's no evidence of cancer. And Marty and I both respectively have had the good news and how I wish that that was always for all of you what the doctor was able to say. And if we don't rejoice under those circumstances, frankly, it's sin. But God here is saying through Paul, rejoice always, even when things aren't the greatest. And I realize that I'm giving a lot of attention this morning to rejoicing when things are not good, and so I just want to uh, slip in a little extra here. Make sure you also rejoice and that you enjoy the things that God gives you to enjoy. It's not all about being able to handle the difficult things but it's being able to really rejoice and thank him and enjoy to the hilt those good things that he gives us, even as we said at the beginning from, from C.S. Lewis. Pleasure is his invention, not the devil's. But rejoice always, he says, even when circumstances are not favorable. Of course, as we said earlier, they were not favorable for Paul. He was in prison with the possibility of execution. And yet he had such a positive outlook throughout his letter. And because of that, he was in, he, he, he was in the location where he could also encourage others because he was speaking from his own experience as well as what he knew to be true in God's Word. I think probably the best-known verse, or one of the best-known verses in Philippians is 4.13. Where Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I just wonder how many people have run away with that verse and applied it to dreaming great dreams. I can be anything, I can do anything, I can be successful, I can be wealthy, I can be the greatest soul winner or the greatest pastor in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we have to pay attention to the context. 
Verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He's not talking about dreaming great dreams here. He's not talking about walking on water. He's talking about something so very down to earth, being able to handle even the difficult circumstances that come his way. And specifically there, he's talking about whether he has an abundance of money or whether he's impoverished. And he's saying, I can do all things through Christ. I can handle the hard times as well as the favorable times. And so, as I said, Paul his own experience was such that we could hear him. He's got the right to the moral authority, if you like, to speak. And it would seem here that the call to rejoice can sometimes be in spite of rather than because of circumstances. Well, we might be saying by now, and perhaps if we're thinking about it, we should be saying by now, well, how is that even feasible? How is it realistic at all? And the key reason, of course, is the third one. The reason is because in the Lord. These three words are the secret to the whole incredible call here. And it helps to clarify that it's not about stoically grinning and bearing whatever comes our way. It's not saying that there's no room for tears or there's no place for expressing disappointment when things don't turn out as we hoped. Nor is it a suggestion that we are to deny our feelings, but rather the joy that is called for here. It's not mere bubbly happiness, but it's the joy of a settled state of mind, being at peace, a confident way of looking at things from the perspective of faith. And as I said earlier, it's not a feeling, but it's a focus. The ability to see, even in the midst of tears, even when things are at their worst and everything is falling apart, that ultimately all is well because God is sovereign and Jesus Christ is Lord and I belong to him. Rejoice not because of all the good circumstances, but rejoice in the Lord. And that calls for some prerequisites. We cannot expect to fully enjoy fullness of life in Christ unless we're fully committed to Christ. And so if I'm going to rejoice in the Lord, it means that I'm committed to Him. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. I'm in harmony with Him. It means I'm committed to His standards. And it means that being committed to His standards, I'm also in the process of learning, <laughs> not there's still going to be struggles. There's still going to be some doubts. There's still going to be misgivings. Whoops, you know, I failed again. But essentially, there is that commitment to him. And one of the things that's going on is I'm being shaped. Not according to what society might say is the way that we want to be shaped, but shaped according to his values. John Ortberg is the uh, pastor from California who probably best known among most people because of the book he read, If You Want to Walk on the Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. 
But this is what he says about Lewis uh, Smedes, now with the Lord. He's, he said, my friend Lewis Smedes used to say that one day, every circumstance, every situation we're hoping for, is going to wear out, give out, fall apart, melt down, or go away. When that happens, the question is about your deeper hope. It's about your foundational hope. It's about your fallback hope when all our other hopes are disappointed. When our deeper hope is fixed on that which is constant and unchanging, that then becomes the basis of rejoicing. Rejoice, the Lord is King. And the reason that Paul could rejoice in all circumstances is because his joy was not in circumstances, but it was in the Lord. That would mean recognizing and remembering certain things. If I'm in the Lord, I remember. And it's good to be reminded that in Christ, I really matter. In Christ, I have significance. In Christ, I am loved. And if I'm truly committed to him as his follower, then I'm forgiven and I'm secure and I have eternal life. The assumption throughout the Bible is that life is often hard and that he does not protect us as Christians from the common hardships that other people also have to face. But it does teach that in him we are adequate to handle them and that more important than what happens to us is what takes place in us. And I think it's significant that there are a number of texts that make that exact connection that something is going on in us in the midst of our suffering but that because of what is going in us we can rejoice even when things are rough. A couple of examples. James 1-2 Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Consider it joy. <laughs> I haven't learned to do that yet. But God is working in me. Considering it joy. Because you know that something is happening inside. Romans 5, 3 and following, same thing. Not only that, he says, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that our sufferings produces endurance. Life is often challenging. There are many tears. Paul's example and instruction would teach us that through those tears we can still focus, we can still stand, because we lean on him and we place our hope in him. Thus, we can rejoice in the Lord. I love a story that I picked up from Daily Bread many years ago. It's about a delightful woman. Probably she's from the deep south because of the way she said thank you. You know, not like us, but she said much obliged, much obliged. And, uh, and, and she, she was known uh, for always looking for good things. Whatever was going on, she would look for good things. Uh, Take this morning, she said as an example. I woke up and I thought... What's there to praise God for today? You know what? 
I couldn't think of a thing. Then from the kitchen came the most delicious odor that ever tickled my nose. Coffee. Much obliged, Lord, for the coffee, I said, and much obliged for the smell of it. Years later, the writer who contributed this tells us that he was at the bedside of the same lady as she lay dying. Seeing her in such pain, he wondered, would she find something to be grateful for? Just then, she opened her eyes. She looked at the others who were gathered round her bedside and quietly said with a smile, Much obliged, Lord, for such fine friends. Choosing her focus and therefore alert to what was good. And this able, able to do when she was healthy, when she could fully enjoy the pleasure of coffee and other wonderful things in life. But this also when she was in pain and on her deathbed. And of course, it was all about rejoicing in the Lord. Not the circumstances, but in the Lord. Perhaps there's no text more poignant than Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. It says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive tree fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior.